Exactly. So processing yeah. articulate is something that we miss in many trips. A typical short-term trip, you go for a week, you're, you're feeling high, you, you know, it's a honeymoon thing. You're feeling so good helping all these poor uh, chaps, uh, people in need, filling in the gap. Uh, and you come back, you're back to the grind. Mm. And there's absolutely no time to process and to, to reflect. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Dr. Curious. In the day, I work a normal job as a doctor. But in my spare time, I've challenged myself to interview other people with interesting career paths, hobbies or side projects. The goal is to share their stories and to draw inspiration and wisdom for the rest of us. This is the Alternative CV Podcast. Welcome back, listeners. This is episode 10 of the Alternative CV Podcast. Today's guest really needs no introduction, especially if you're a Singaporean. It's Dr. Go Wei Leong, a general practitioner who co-founded and chairs HealthServe. HealthServe and Dr. Go have been instrumental in bringing the needs of migrant workers to the fore in Singapore. And more than that, they do a great job of actually helping migrant workers in a holistic way. And we go into some really incredible stats in this podcast. In recognition of their efforts, Dr. Go and HealthServe were awarded the Singaporean of the Year Award in 2017. Dr. Go has some amazing stories that I'm excited to share with you. As you listen to them, it's worth paying attention to how the HealthServe team realized the importance of actually listening to the needs of migrant workers whom they were serving. I believe that speaking to users of your service is even more important in a charity, where it's easy to start with preconceived notions about what other people need. But no. Start by building genuine relationships and finding out what people really need. With that, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast with Dr. Go Weiliang. Dr. Go Weiliang, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. It's uh, wonderful to be back. Yeah, great. So I thought so. I usually start by um, giving a bit of introduction about the person who I'm interviewing. But in your case, I think that because you're such a humble and generous man, I would talk more about HealthServe. And so just to give some context and some facts and figures about HealthServe, it was founded in 2006 and some really staggering numbers. You give out 19,000 meals in the past year, 10,500 GP consultations, 44,000 given dollars given out in MRT. So that's our transportation network top up for people's cards, which are used in public transportation, as well as emergency assistance funds. You help 430 migrant workers with injury support claims or salary claims. You've got 840 volunteers clocking some 26,000 hours and you've housed 37 injured workers in emergency shelters. So some really, really staggering numbers. Yeah, it sounds staggering. I've uh, not heard it uh, repeated over uh, to me. And uh, But you know something? I just realized that beneath all this are the real stories that... Uh, yeah, that that's they're often missed, you know, and I think that makes it real. But these are just figures, really. Uh, I mean, you know, annual reports we have it. It's it's exciting, it's staggering, it is uh, inspiring. But the real stuff really are the stories, uh, the one-on-one, uh, real human contact and friends that we make. Mm. Yeah. So I'd love to get into these stories and uh, real human contact later. But sure. just to start off, I'd like to talk about crazy ideas. Crazy ideas. Crazy oh, ideas. Okay, sure. Yeah. So. Just to give some context, in a previous interview with um, with Sorts and Light, you, you you once said that with me, things often start with crazy ideas. But you know what? Very often the crazy idea dovetails with a need that is already there. So was HealthServe your first kind of crazy idea, your first kind of charity that you started? Or had you tried to start something before? 
no, I'm actually quite uh, generally I uh, I'm someone who explores. I like new things, and uh, so crazy ideas are something that is something that keeps me going. I so no before health serve, I started something called Linking Hands, uh, which is you know has passed its usefulness. But uh, so about 25, 20 years ago, uh, in nineteen ninety nine, I started something called Linking Hands. It was essentially a portal, a web-based portal, uh, where we kept a list of people who are interested in medical uh, outreaches, uh, volunteer work, um, and I matched it with opportunities around, around the world. Mm. Uh, and it could be from someone wanting to do a medical elective in India uh, or in, in Africa to say uh, when disaster happens, like uh, an earthquake or something, and we match a resource. So Linking Hands was Global Partnerships in Medical Missions. And what we did again was just connecting people. So that idea came uh, after I did a trip to India. Mm. Uh, that was in about 97, 98. Uh, I teamed up with uh, a group of um, about 12 German doctors and about four of us Singaporeans. Mm -hmm. We did a medical outreach uh, in, in, in Hyderabad. And uh, we saw like 10,000 patients in five days. Now, if you ask me again, uh, this is another story because uh, these are things I wouldn't do in today's world. Mm. And looking back, I learned so much and so many mistakes I've made, uh, which I'm almost embarrassed to talk about. But anyway, uh, so with that, I realized that, you know, unless you are given the opportunity to know of what's available around the world, you wouldn't know. So, mm. and I thought of something called linking hands. So with uh, one of... Uh, another Singaporean who came with me for that trip, uh, David Tay is his name, and we started linking hands. And we are the very early, uh, I thought, so as we thought about it, we said, why don't we do a web base? In those days, people mm -hmm. just were beginning to have their Yahoo accounts, starting to have their emails. Yeah. And so I think we we're pretty, uh, you know, quite uh, forward looking there. Yeah, when this was about 99, oh, okay. 98, yeah. So, so this was before the Googles and stuff, you know. Wow, okay. So, so what became of Linking Hands then? So, Linking Hands, uh, so in the first few years, so what we started, we, we had to grow the list, uh, our database. So what I did was we had uh, people, we started sending emails to people. We invited them for mission talks. I started them at home. Uh, so when, for example, if a medical uh, NGO worker or could be a medical missionary who passes by Singapore, we invite them, have a meal at my home and invite as many people. Mm -hmm. And so that started a network. Um, and and soon we'll collect the names. In those days, there was no... Uh, uh, this PDPA, you know, the Personal Data Protection Act. And all. Yeah. So you just keep their names and emails and phone numbers. And that's how we connected with them. I see. And uh, slowly the list grew. And I then went into the medical student uh, uh, arena, so to speak, uh, connecting students for medical electives. And that grew. And finally, Linking Hands' main focus was on medical student. Mm -hmm. uh, meanwhile, we had the... Uh, Turkey earthquake, we had the tsunami, we had the Padang earthquake, all kinds of disasters in the region. And then, uh, so with that was opportunity to connect not just people and medical personnel uh, to a need, uh, but also resource for a time, uh, you know, in time of disaster. So that's what we did. Just connection mm. as a portal. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like a really good idea. Did, what, what's a, did you learn anything from those, from that experience to help shape what HealthServe would be? Well, it did give HealthServe a foundation. In fact, uh, HealthServe, in some way, grew out of linking hands. So at our, uh, so about 2006, so that was about maybe seven or eight years into the work of linking hands, uh, 
one of uh, our Linking Hands uh, volunteers, uh, you know, came up to me and he said, you know, what, what if we were to do more migrant work? Because at that time, I had already started uh, talking about migrant work. Mm-hmm. And uh, we figured that, you know, uh, we'll invite our Linking Hands team, uh, the da- people in our, data, our database, uh, to join us for a migrant work of a migrant clinic. I see. So and so, so we, we did. But you know, the interesting part is that when I shared with the larger Linking Hands team, we're all managed by all volunteers. Yeah. Because it's web-based, right? And in fact, our web, uh, our administrator was based in India. Mm-hmm. And uh, so in those days, we were already doing outsourcing. I had this friend who is a doctor in India and she was our main administrator for many years. And uh, and so we again, I think we're pioneers in this. Uh and I remember running, for example, a, a medical uh, uh, outreach dinner at my house, inviting uh, students and doctors to my home. And they will email uh, Revati, her name, uh, Dr. Revati. Uh, how do I get to Wei Leong's house? And she's back <laughs> in India and she replies to them. It was quite funny because uh, they didn't know she was based in India in those days. So really, really forward thinking and really, really forward looking. And um, back so just then, do even, it. Yeah, even we, we then, just did yeah. it. Essentially, uh, okay, so in terms of starting something new, uh, when you have an idea, get a few people. Uh, I don't usually do it alone. I think there's something uh, special about collective wisdom and ideas. So I usually do it about three or four people or two or three to start off with and then you get gather like-minded people and you know when so you're talking about linking hands and its relationship with HealthServe so it, uh, when we started HealthServe when I uh, you know broached the idea to some of our linking hands people not all were interested mm-hmm. but two were and they became so out of out of uh, about six or seven of us three of us started or were very involved with HealthServe together with Shin Yong then mm. yeah okay so okay. again you know you don't expect a buy-in from everyone and that's fine. I think we need to celebrate the fact that not everybody, uh, not everyone will you know, see it then. And it's fine, you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to this, to the origin story of HealthServe later. Yeah, sure. But if I take you one step back, you were talking a lot about um, mission trips and you, you mentioned, you know, going overseas and then seeing what's out there. Sure. And it seems like these kind of mission trips have very kind of formative, well, quite formative experiences for you, like yeah, helped yeah, you to see sure. the need or something like that. Can you describe some of the mission trips you've been to and what you saw and how that impacts you? Well, mission trips, yeah. It was something new for me. I uh, So they feature a lot. Uh, it's a main feature in my life, how it shaped me. And uh, and really, this is really a payback time. I feel I need to give back. Uh, for my exposure to to the world around, uh, around us, uh, I think it's largely uh, started with mission trips. Um, but uh, it has shaped me as I said. So it started when uh, I was invited to go to Mongolia. That's very, you know, I've told that to many people. In 95, actually, mm-hmm. I was invited to go to Mongolia with a friend of mine and um, to do the medical checks for for the NGO workers who were there and some missions were there. So I thought it's a pretty cool idea. I've had nice holidays, but but go to Mongolia uh, was be quite exotic. So I agreed to that. And in 95, there was about three or four years before just after the revolution, mm. uh, so they've broken away from the, the USSR then, um, or Russia, and um, so Mongolia was pretty much on its own. And so there are lots of NGOs were there, but very new. So I went there and I did the medical, you know, the annual physicals for the medical uh, workers there uh, and NGOs there. And was, what was interesting is because of the f- close contact in taking a medical history, asking them about the stories and the context, 
as I do the medical exams for them, uh, annual physicals for them, I begin to realize, my goodness, there's this new world out there, another world which I never knew, world of NGOs or the poor of issues of the world that I never could have uh, uh, been exposed to if not for this contact with uh, people, you know, one-on-one contact. And that really blew my mind. Mm. And I knew that I have missed something. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't about to let it go. And subsequently, I went to India. I got involved with India and then the Hyderabad trip. And then there was a, earth, there was a super typhoon uh, in 99 in Orissa, or Orissa is known now, the, the state super cyclone, mm. 70,000 people died. I got involved with that. So there are various uh, uh, milestones. So this is a short-term trip. So it's a one-week trip to Mongolia that changed my life. Mm. Can you point to any memories in, from these trips which really stuck with you and that you, con- that you perhaps continue to reflect on and, and say, yeah. were well, there any turning points? Besides yeah, yeah. So, I think the Mongolia, within the Mongolia trip, one of the main turning points was a young German couple, I still remember, I forget their names. Uh, they were young, maybe about uh, late 20s, uh, with a baby that was, the baby was about three months old and they come about 100 miles uh, from the outskirts of Ulaanbaatar to see me for this annual physical. Mm. And um, so I did a check and I asked him, so, you know, where do you live? They say 100 miles away from Ulaanbaatar. And I said, so what's your housing like? And he said, oh, we live in a tent, a gear, a traditional Mongolian uh, tent. And I said, whoa, and tell me more. And I still found out that there's, you know, there's no running water, no electricity, and Mongolia is freezing. I was there in the spring of uh, 95, April, it was like minus seven degrees. Mm. And then I realized, wow, these guys are driven by their passion, by their beliefs. And that also then challenged my own uh, worldview, uh, you know, uh, how, how, uh, how I live up my life with the lens of my own worldview. Hmm. In this case, my Christian worldview. And that was helpful. And that was a major turning point within the Mongolia trip. Hmm. And subsequently with the India trips, uh, short-term visits to India, I used to do about three to four trips a year. Uh, meeting people at the ground to listen to their stories is really the stories that challenged me. Mm-hmm. And I begin to be shaped by the people around me. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's really interesting. So lots of people go on mission trips, um, but that's, as you said, it's only like a week or so. How do you take what you learn from that just one week and then make it transform it into more long-term kind of guiding principle or make it such that the lessons you learn influence the rest of the things that you're doing over a longer period of time? Well, I guess, uh, you know, uh, this is a big question. In fact, 20 years into this, or uh, well, more than 20 years into this, I, I realized that the stuff I did in the far, uh, initially, uh, I would be embarrassed to talk about it because, I mean, it was pretty much about myself, fulfilling, uh, feeling good. Uh, and I didn't know it was that. But in a way, uh, I thank God that I have, uh, I had a time to reflect, really. And because I was sharing with others the stories, I was forced to articulate my experiences. Ah, yes. That's really interesting. Yeah, go on. Right. So because if one is, uh, so like if you ask me my stories, like even this interview will force me to reflect, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I may otherwise not. Mm. Or I've not, you know, re- revisited this issue or this experience. So because I ran uh, uh, events after the trip, uh, talking about it, trying to get volunteers on board, linking hands, uh, trying to get uh, people to go for more trips, for more mission trips, um, then I was able to then see the, the the lessons learned, sharing about the people's life, 
when we begin to understand the context of our service. And, uh, and soon I learned much, much more. And again, I've learned, you know, again, uh, after all these years, one or two decades after that, I think uh, the way I see mission trips or short-term trips is so different from how I started. Okay, go on. I, I can't let that slip. So oh, I'll really? help, help you. How's <laughs> well, it different? Okay, now I will not uh, uh, say uh, promote or encourage short-term trips uh, in its current form or the way many people do it. Or okay. in the form that was done like maybe 10, 15 years ago, which folks are still doing. A typical short-term trip will be, I gather, hey, friend, hey guys, you know this, how about coming with me to India or Myanmar or China for a week? And, you know, amazing, you can serve, you can be a doctor, you can, as a medical student or you're, uh, you're a teacher or whatever, you come and serve these poor guys, they really need our help, you know, and you'll be confronted with uh, yeah, lots of needs and you could serve. You're a well-educated, well-resourced Singaporean. Mm. Uh, so we're thinking from a very top-down, very paternalistic, patronizing way. Uh, and, you know, subconsciously, I didn't know I went with that. Mm-hmm. attitude I mean I didn't intend and then most of us want to do good so just good intentions is really not enough mm. uh, uh, good intentions are not enough because uh, sometimes our motives are mixed uh, so so I would say short term trips today I would say I would see as a learning uh, what how can I go to a cross cultural situation and learn from the very people I serve coming with a more learning attitude and seeing the okay. world as a whole, that we are all uh, in this world as global citizens, not a first world versus a third world. I see. So I've learned all this over the years. And it doesn't come easy, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's come, I think for me, uh, as I reflected on it, as I share, because as I share, I begin to realize, hmm, the words that come up doesn't quite, uh, or the thoughts doesn't quite click with what I really believe in mm-hmm. or the values I, I, I am, you know, yeah. Supposed to hold, you see? There's something about processing it and then articulating it. That exactly. So processing it, articulating yeah. is something that we miss in many trips. A typical short-term trip, you go for a week, you're, you're feeling high, you, you know, it's a honeymoon thing. You're feeling so good helping all these poor uh, chaps, uh, people in need, filling in the gap. Uh, and you come back, you're back to the grind. Mm. And there's absolutely no time to process and to, to reflect. Okay, so... For someone who might be going on a mission trip, for example, you've covered some things already, but what kind of things will you encourage them to think about before they go or when they go or after they come back? And right. besides reflecting and articulating, as we've, as we've talked about, and also besides um, going with a spirit of like wanting to learn from the people. Okay. I think when we talk mission trips, we think of it in one week blocks, isn't it? Yes. I go for a week and maybe twice a, twice a year I go. So two one week blocks and this part of my whole year. But what if we see our life as one journey? Okay. And uh, I'm constantly living out my values, trying to figure it out, trying to express it. And a mission trip is just one highlight. Mm-hmm. It's part of a larger journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we downplay the mission trip as this uh Spike. Big event. Yeah. Spike. It's a, too much a spike. I think then if we are attentive, we have, a attentive, we have an attentive presence uh, in our daily lives. Uh, so if I'm taking a train or I'm you know, in a hawker center having a meal, if I see a, uh, a migrant worker or I see a poor, what's my reaction? How do, I re- uh, how do I react or how do I engage them? 
or as a work for me as a doctor how do i engage my patients who are more vulnerable who come from less uh, you know from from marginalized communities how do i interact with them and then when i go on a mission trip tomorrow uh, that's an extension uh, of this idea so that the mission trip is not a scene in, in mm, a siloed. As, as a siloed thing. Yeah. So it's one continuum. Life should be seen as a continuum, living out these values or things I believe in. So I think that will really prevent mission trips from being just a mission tourism or volunteerism. Mm. You know? mm. Okay. Uh, I think a change of mindset, a reframing the, the short-term mission trip uh, will be key. And you know, our lives will be a lot richer if we do that because every day is a mission trip, mm. so to speak. I really like that. So yeah. about being attentive, about... I mean, you are the product of all your experiences. So it's how you use all these experiences to mold you into a more well-rounded person, someone who cares more for other people, and etc. Yeah, I think these experiences, I mean, care more for, for people. I think it came over the years. I, I, I wasn't really looking, okay, how can I care more? I, mm-hmm. It's sort of... Gradual uh, mode. Gradual. And I think what really helps is this reflection and seeing life as one whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. I think that's something I would encourage folks to do. Mm. If you think of mission trips, don't see it as one-off to help the poor. Mm. But how do I do it every day? Mm-hmm. Be attentive for my surround, so that when you're doing a mission trip, it is another day, but in a different context. Mm. So you're already primed because most of our mission trips will have, okay, I'll have a one-month pre-trip uh, orientation training and after one month, uh, maybe after another two or three months of post-trip. And what can happen is that Outside of this window, we just put it, it's parked in the shelf until our next mission trip. And therein lies the problem. We dichotomize, we have seg- you know, segmented it. Mm. So life has to be one whole. That will be a major, I think a very important point in terms of making mission trips m- meaningful. Mm. So let's come back to the origin stories of HealthServe. Sure. So we talked a little bit about this already. You were with Linking Hands about a few years later, you decided to come to HealthServe. Yeah. Can you describe the story um, yeah. of how it started? So if I were to go back even more, um, so with Linking Hands, I had met uh, a, a dentist called Simon Mahendran mm-hmm. who runs Karunia Clinic, Karunia Community Clinic. Ah, yes. And I met him at a medical conference. Uh, I think it was in Taiwan or somewhere. And... Um, and I asked him what he's been doing. He said he set up a clinic for migrant workers. And he was struggling. Now, being a dentist, he doesn't have the network of doctors. By that time, Linky has had already started about, we had started about three, two or three years. And uh, so I said, hey, Simon, why don't I come volunteer and maybe bring my network with me? Mm-hmm. So to cut a long story short, I volunteered and I got a few people, my Linky Hands team members to help volunteer. Then at the same time, I met my friend Shin Yong, and we were talking about global issues. Mm. Um, yeah. And she was working with an uh, uh, NGO then, um, and we talked about global issues, poverty, and I, I asked him, I told him, hey, Shin Yong, don't you, you know, notice all these migrant workers? They're even more now. Uh, and it was about 2006 when I got to know him. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, what if we start a clinic? And that's because I already had a little experience with Karunia Clinic. And he, she was really excited. Now, he is a businessman and uh, he could see opportunities that I, I, I can't. And he was so excited and he said, let's start it. And so what I did was I got our team. So with Shin Yong and two members uh, uh, from my Linking Hands team. So four of us, we then uh, got other doctors and uh, others who were interested. Together, we had a meal in my home, a party in my house again, and uh, told them this crazy idea. 
So I, I, I threw a party at my house, had good food, gave them some wine. At the end of it, I said, hey guys, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I've got this crazy idea. Uh, Shinyong, myself and the Lincoln's team were thinking of setting up a clinic for migrant workers. What do you think? How did it go down? Everyone was for it. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I'm not sure it was the food and wine, but uh, everyone said, great idea. I said, well, you're on board with us. If you know, And so with that, we... So the learning principle is really, I get a small core of people believe and are ready to run with me for this crazy idea and then get a general support. And with that, we ran and people then donated. So what's interesting that after that particular uh, uh, gathering in my home, uh, someone said, hey, Willong, you know, uh, next month, I'm going to do a renovation uh, for my uh, my private clinic and I've got all this furniture and uh, examination cultures and cupboards and all. You can have them. I said, fantastic. And others were donating their stuff and someone said, I've got, you know, uh, medicines I could donate. And, and so with that, uh, you get people on board. I see. That's how we started really. It's, uh, and we were very naive. We thought, yeah, maybe $1,000 to just get us, you know. Uh, we can start uh, NGO with $1,000. We didn't cost a lot more. Uh, we thought doctors would come with a free stethoscope. I'll get free donated medicines uh, and all volunteers. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's how it pretty much started. We did not have any blueprint, but just went for it with some friends. So many questions to ask you. I, I, it's, first of yeah. all, I really like this idea about um, what, what you said before about having a small team of people, a core of people who can encourage each other. And, and I suppose also in your circumstance, uh, yourself, you're a doctor, Shin Yong's a businessman. So a lot of different complementary skill sets that you can then feed into this idea. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and the other doctor... Uh, he he. I still remember he he was very into like you know management stuff and all that and banking. You know, in fact, he did a stint, uh, in a bank after his medicine degree. So these were stuff that. Uh, so I think the core team, a very diverse core team, is important. And these were people who you knew what would be we were already like, my friends. Or they said, you know, a friend of mine will be interested. In. And so I think getting the core team is important. And and, and these friendships, the friendships just hold it. Relationships hold it. Yeah. Because for crazy ideas to happen, you know, you need trust and friendship. But one thing which I'm really admir um, in admiration of is, is how you took what is a crazy idea and you just ran with it. And you you can call it naiv naivety or whatever, but you decided to take the leap rather than to say, oh, no, we should think about this and that and whatever. You launched it and then you built I it. I launched it there. and I figured it out. You know, I in, in retrospect, I'm glad I didn't know what was ahead because if I knew if I had known I may not have gone into it you know and and maybe that's that's, that's me and uh, uh, so someone like, like Shin Yong being a businessman he was really ready to take the risk but me I'm not a risk taker but just by in my own naivety my own because I was I didn't know my own ignorance I thought it would be simple so and I'm glad I did because I thought just setting up clinic I've done clinics before right mm -hmm. but I didn't know it was because I didn't know that to serve someone, a migrant worker, is more than medicine. You know, the physical medicine. Yeah. And when I came into the work, then I realized, oh my goodness, there's this holistic thing that we talk about and we didn't know what we were talking about. And we got to, to, to understand and, and, and discover it step by step. And all the stories that came on how we grew the work and deepened the work. Mm -hmm. uh, but that was because uh, we, uh, forced our, we were open to these new things that came came our way. 
That's amazing. So what was going through your head at a point in time when you first started out? Were you scared? Well, you know, when you stood up to speak, to pitch it to your friends, is it? Or were you just like, go, let's go for it? No, I I didn't know enough to be scared. <laughs> <laughs> really, in fact, I was, I was pitching it. I still remember a, a, a big dinner and I had this really nice slides. I said, oh, we're going to do this clinic. We're going to help the poor, uh, the, the migrants, and these are the needs. We suspect these are the needs. And folks will look at me, oh, you got a grand plan. And folks were not that excited about it. You know, some were, but not all. And uh, I said, look, we're going to do this. We're going to help them with uh, our medical needs. But I didn't, and we're going to help them in a holistic way, I said. But I had no idea what holistic meant. Till about six months into the work. So when I pitched it, it's like, quite nice. And, you know, uh, I got nice people. I mean, I got people to talk about it. But, you know, in a way, I think we need to be uh, be able to think laterally. We'll be able to to have uh, um, be open to new ideas and to feedback. Mm. Yeah, to feedback and to what happens on the ground as we serve. Yeah. So that was a grand plan and vision. And then after Very- that comes the execution. So how do you then come to, did, was it like personal messages? So these uh, people saying, well, was, yeah. how, did, how do you execute? I, I started, have, we had a team. So when people came for the dinner, we had other, some, I remember someone who was a marathon runner and, and he, he ran his, uh, a, a, a triathlete who did a, a uh, you know, he, he was one of these races and he put us, featured us mm. and he gave it to his friends. So there are many people, there are very different the whole range of people who helped us because mm-hmm. the word got around that we were doing this migrant clinic. Mm. And so all kinds of people came and mm. it was great. Uh, and then we had to then focus on what we were doing. And so because the clinic was core and one of the turning points, if I may go into this, is that within six months, I realized that, hey, you know, medicine alone is not going to solve the problems of the mm-hmm. world. And I had thought that medicine, having a clinic will solve all the problems in the world. It wasn't so. Because... Uh, one of the turning points was when this uh, 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 migrant worker came in. He came and said, look, uh, doctor, I want to end my life. Mm. I said, oh, cool. You want to end your life and you come look for me. And I realized at that point that I needed something more than medicine. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think now's a great chance to, great time to read you another quote from another interview. Um, it says, we just wanted a simple clinic to serve those without access to healthcare, but it's grown beyond our wildest imagination. We've got social assistance, research, legal advisory, shelter, and all. It's all started from a very simple com- concept of helping to a broader, deeper understanding of holistic care. And that was from an interview you gave to the Straits Times. It just strikes me as like something where you uh, you and your team were very entrepreneurial in that you focus on what the end user, the, 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 the migrant worker really needs. You listen, really, really, really listen to what they needed. And then you just built systems which just gradually took care of every single aspect of what they needed. And we learned the hard way. So I'll tell you how uh, listening to a migrant worker became something that we learned to do. And it was a very big lesson for us. So um, so what happened um, you know, after that the incident where this guy said he wanted to kill himself and I didn't know what to do because he had not eaten, he needed a community, he needed help we realized that we had not understood this community. We had not listened to them. We had come in all cleverness and all our clever ideas uh, as professionals, as medical professionals, doctors, nurses, and teachers and lawyers and all, wanting to help the poor as, as we, we thought they were. And uh, so we approached it from a very clinical, transactional model. And nothing happened. First six months, there was 
very little activity and we were wondering if we had made a mistake. Mm. Three of my uh, lady uh, GP friends who started that, uh, then, you know, we had a meeting. So we had always proud ourselves that we should be reflective, right? We wanted to think. And so, you know, as a reflective practitioner, we realized that, my goodness, we've made a mistake. We're not moved and understood uh, the migrant worker. So what we did was uh, we crossed a major road. Literally, we crossed one street away. So if you know Singapore, HealthServe, we are at the moment in Geylang. Geylang is a red light district in Singapore, a very colorful district. That's where we have our clinic. Now we are on the even uh, numbered lanes, which, uh, we're sorry, we're on the odd numbered lanes, which are the safe lanes, uh, whereas across the road are the even numbered lanes in Geylang, this red light district. And we have safe, we have stayed in a safe site where in the gated community is a social enterprise sort of a hub of sorts uh, uh, for social assistance and all, NGO hub. And we're in this very safe space, gated. We never cross to the big bad world. And so we realized we're not cross. We invited someone to bring us across into the red light district, to the lanes, and we found a different world there. So we, we, when we crossed there, we realized that there were people of, you know, people with incredible stories of pain, of struggle, of resilience. Uh, it just blew our mind. So we had transient sex workers, we had local, low, uh, local prostitutes, we had pimps, uh, we had migrant workers who lived there. It was a microcosm of a little community there. Brothels in the ground floor, uh, 7-Elevens, a pawn shop, uh, a mobile shop, adult shops, and there were brothels there. And uh, on the third and second story uh, and fourth stories are accommodation for migrant workers. All in this area, there was just one street away from where we were. But we never, we never went there. So when we crossed to the side of the marginalized, of the oppressed, of the people we want to serve, the rest is history. We became good friends with a, the pimp of the pimps of this area. In fact, I just spoken to him two weeks ago. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, uh, he would, you know, and once in a while he uh, will give me a call and we'll go for dinner with another doctor friend of mine, Doctor Tan Lai Yong. Mm. Uh, we'll go for durians, and um, and this guy is now an Uber driver. Mm. Uh, he has given up this job, and you know, that's another story. But the fact that he, we got introduced to him, he controlled a certain area, and he even showed us showed our volunteers. Uh, what you know? What a, a a a brothel room looks like. A brothel looks like he, he brought us in for a tour and all that. Mm. And the rest we became friends. You see, and with that the people started to coming to us, and by making friends with them, we were able to listen and get their stories. And it was really a listening to their stories that mm. helped shape and inform our practices. But of course, today we have got research and all that. Mm. A lot more, uh, I guess, uh, intentional and deliberate. In those days, we just didn't know. We were listening to stories that shaped the way we uh, uh, created or introduced services. I think that's there's a real lesson in there for all of us because you often hear this said in the, in the startup world or in the business community, listen to your consumers. But it's, it's true as well for, for charities. Um, you know, listen to the people who you're helping and yeah, then develop services yeah. for them. And very often we don't because we have our own agendas without knowing, really. We've yeah. got good intentions. It was all good intentions, mind you, you know. It's mm. all good intentions, mm. but is that enough? 
We really need to learn and listen. I think a radical listening needs to happen. When back when you were so small, how did you first enter get into the community? Because it's in some ways it's really worlds apart, as you, as you said. How you know? And I think the, the most difficult period is in getting somebody off the ground because you need all the activation and energy. You really need to push it to 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 get it to some kind of a velocity for the takeoff. Yes. How how do you go about those first few years? It was really tough. I think uh, because we didn't know, we didn't know ourselves, we did not listen. Uh, but we, I think by asking, uh, by really having to take a, uh, I think humility is important and simplicity. We had these grand plans, but humility and simplicity was a bit lacking when we first started. Uh, all these grand plans, right? I mean, you know, grand vision. Uh, but we, as I mentioned, one street away was something we learned. Mm. And we've called that one street away, learning one st- from one street away. And uh, so we had uh, contacted um, people who are already know the area, say, hey, could you just teach us what's happening in this area? Bring us, introduce us to communities that we don't know. And it takes time. You know, friendship takes time to build and trust. Mm. So one has to be quite patient. And I, in our Asian context, I would say meals are very important. Uh, meals around health serve were very special in those days. We'll have a meal together, a table of 10 in the back lanes of Geelang mm-hmm. in a nice uh, 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 little store. We call it Tzu Cha Stalls, you know, you know, a local local cuisine. And uh, we'll have uh, professors, uh, physicians, pims and prostitutes and migrant workers sit together that, sharing a, a meal. And what a for, picture. You know, for this pim friend of mine, who's a pim of the pims, yeah, he was really a big time guy here. At one point, at some point later on, he says, you know something? I've never had friends like you guys. In fact, you know what? Me and all my friends in this trade, uh, in, in this, you know, underground, uh, the underworld trade, as it were, uh, we wish we could be like you guys, mm. the normal guys, the normal people, you know. And I realized then that for all that we we perceive of uh, our perception of people on the other side, uh, they they want to be accepted. They are like you and I. Mm. Uh, it's the same dreams and and they hold true to values. And I remember this Pim guy. I mean, you know, uh, let's call him Mister Tan, for example. Yeah, that's not his real name, but Mister Tan would say, you know. I look after my my girls. I make sure that they get a just wage. I protect them if uh, there are fights, if they are unreasonable customers. I protect them. Mm-hmm. I care for them. Look, go ask my girls. Mm-hmm. Talk to them. And the same guy uh, today has left the trade, you know, because his principle. Mm. <laughs> and I I I think this resilience and um, and his principle uh, has inspired me. Mm. You know, uh, he's still struggling uh, with debt and all that. Uh, but, uh, you know, these are people we learn from and, and they shape the way. You think? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah, which is one straight away. And it's, it's amazing to see how genuinely you listen to them and how, and it's just the genuineness of these interactions that open the doors and builds trust, as you said, because it's so important to when you're engaging with a new community, when you're trying to build these bridges to build the trust. We really build trust uh, and have meals with them. And the same thing we we, we did with our, our migrant workers. Uh, once we got to know them, because you see, when you're small, one of the best things you can do 
is the relationships. Mm. We have lots of time, a lot more time rather, uh, to have a meal, to talk to them. So mm. what really is your problem? What's behind your story? Mm. Asking the story for every migrant worker. You know, initially we we forgot, we didn't know that every migrant worker has a story or every transgender sex worker who comes and see us has a story. Uh, we saw them as digits, as people to be, as people to be helped, you know. Uh, and I think the danger we have today, is, as we grow, we have grown much bigger. We are now, uh, you know, a large uh, NGO. Is that we may forget again, and um, and and you know, I, I've been reminded every now and again that, hey, look, it is uh, not all the clever things, the clever services you have, or the uh, very efficient services that we have, uh, but is you know. Are you really knowing the people? What's efficacious? Mm -hmm. Not just efficient or effective. Mm -hmm. What's efficacious? Mm -hmm. uh, what's really? What's the real need of the migrant worker? Is it more Panadol, more painkillers, or another X-ray? Mm -hmm. But what he really needs may be that community of friendship. And efficacious comes from the migrant workers, the people you're serving, and not just from your own ideas, as you've as you've. They shown. tell us what's, yeah. effic what's efficacious, because we think we'll just do the most effective thing for them. We treat. Uh, the the you know, the the lab results. We treat the fever. We don't treat the real person. You mm -hmm. see, and we have learned that so in so many ways here at HealthServe, Maybe. and we're still learning. You know, yeah. <laughs> so press the fast forward button. Sure. You are now um, from there. You've uh, you've you've developed uh, the Geelong Food Project. You food project. So you provide meals to people. You provide right. casework services where you look at them. Where you help. Uh, migrant workers with say salary if they have been unjustly denied salary or if they are unjustly denied workplace compensation you help them with their medical the medical part is a huge staple we've added on dental clinics That's right. and you do communications to spread the to increase advocacy you even do things where you um, take migrant workers out um, on public holidays to show them a bit That's of right. Singapore culture yeah. so really quite a, a the whole range the, the whole, whole range of, of services upstream and downstream work yeah uh, so one of the things now uh, that we have uh, realized is that in today's world, if you were to present uh, the issue of of migration of migrants workers, for example, or vulnerable migrant workers, we need some evidence based uh, data. We'll need to present a paper. We need some research. So uh, and these are important. Uh, in the past, we just used very, lots of uh, anecdotal stories and all that. Mm -hmm. But you know uh, how to to be. Uh, cognizant of the needs of today, how do we then communicate in the right way and efficacious way? It might uh, uh, require us to go a little more upstream, research, presenting a paper uh, to the government authorities or people uh, who can influence policy to flag up some of the policies and gaps. And we need the evidence base. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Great. How have you changed as a person from this journey? That's a big question. <laughs> I would say that is a... Um, wow, how do I answer that? Okay, I, I've learned to be, uh, to be more comfortable with myself, learn how to be... Uh, to own, own myself, you know, uh, to be comfortable in my own skin, as it were, and uh, to maybe um, not to worry too much about what others think. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a group of creatives together uh, really believe that it might work and it's something exciting, something unknown, uh, then go for it. At the same time, uh, I've learned also 
the the importance of having a team of friends, of them being uh, part of your conversation. Mm-hmm. So I've learned to be also uh, be able to hold attention, how to manage as it were polarity. Mm. In the past, for creatives, you could be just very uh, you know set on just doing everything. Uh, very organic. At the same time, I realized that as we have grown, as health serve has grown, I realized that the structures are also important and they're not mutually exclusive. Mm-hmm. Very often you'll say, oh, we don't have any structures because we'll be organic. Or we need the structures and we don't want to be, you know, uh, so organic that we don't know where we are. I think we need to hold this tension. And I've learned over the years to be able to hold this better, to understand, to celebrate the differences. To offer is not one or the other, just celebrate both. And I'm learning from both sides. And how I manage this has helped me uh, navigate uh, uh, this time of my life and help me grow. I mean, more mature, more, I think so, I hope so. I'm more mellow, perhaps. Uh, I'm less flustered by things that go wrong. I, I really love the nuance in that holding the tension and how it's not one thing or the other, but but it's both together and both at different seasons. And you can really tell that it's from personal experience that you've learned these lessons. So often on this podcast, I like to ask about failures or difficult times because I think that it humanizes people's stories. And yeah. often you see a very polished, finished product, but you don't realize the difficulties along the way. And you've shared some of them already, but are there any other instructive kind of failures that you point to that you can think about and point to? Uh, I know of a story. Okay, there was about maybe three years ago when we had, uh, we opened a clinic in Mandai, which is a dormitory where about six or 7,000 people live uh, in two or three blocks of uh, apartment or flats where all the migrant workers are housed there. We opened a clinic there. And uh, so again, we thought it was a great thing, very clever. And on the first day of opening, um, Layong, Dr. Tan Layong, myself, we happened to be speaking to one of the patients who was a migrant worker. And you can Google him. His name is Mukul. Google. Mm. It's interesting. Yeah? A migrant how, do you, how do you spell Mukul? M-U-K-U-L. M-U-K-U-L. And uh, so we went and said, so Mukul, how's your experience? Oh, very good. Thank you, doctor, so much. And thank you so much. for You really need this. And so we we're quite proud that we could serve this migrant worker. And then... In, I don't know what happened, but I asked him, so Mukul, what do you do? Uh, what, what are you working as? But they're all construction workers, right? In that I should have known. But anyway, he said, I'm a construction worker. He tells me what he did. And then I asked him another question. So Mukul, what do you do in your free time? It's a stupid question because He's no free they time. has got no free time. Yeah. But I've, you know, I asked this, I asked of most of my friends, hey, so what do you do in your free time? So, you know, just to strike conversation with him. And he tells me, oh, doctor, I write poetry. I say, uh, what do you do? Sir, I write poetry and sometimes short stories. I was like, I just long pregnant pause. I said, what? I was thinking of right, right away. I was thinking of me and my, all my frivolous like uh, pursuits and <laughs> a trivia that I'm interested in. And my friends who are top surgeons or rich businessmen who spend their time in a free time in their $100,000 uh, uh, um, Multimedia center at home in a home basement, you know, uh, watching movies and all that. And I'm just thinking, hey, you know, this migrant worker, in his free time, he writes poetry. And it just blew my mind. I, and it was a realization for of my own <laughs> smallness. And and I found out that, you know, this this guy, 
And his old dormitory, there was a senior guy who was about, this Mukul is about maybe mid-twenties. And this is a much more senior Bangladeshi worker who said, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, he comes back, I help him. Uh, we, you know, uh, I, I bought him a little uh, a chair so that he could sit and do his poetry in this community, you know. I was just surprised. And he would write his poetry and he told us how there was one day he was so, so dejected he wanted to give up with life. He wanted to give up with life, seriously give up with life. And he was carrying a sack of cement in the workplace because mm-hmm. he was ferrying cement on his back. And uh, he threw the cement down, the, the bag of cement down and wanted to end his life or just give up. And then he thought of his grandmother and he said, and he thought to himself, no, I can't do this. I must carry on for her sake. And he lifts his yellow head, uh, yellow heart hat up. You know the helmet? Yeah. The safety helmet? Yeah. And he picks up this little pen that's stuck in his precious pen that caused the world to him. That's nothing to us. Picks it up and he writes the opening lines of a poem about his grandmother. Inspiration. Wow. Amazing. And, uh, and you know, and he takes this piece of paper and keeps saying, you know, and the rest is, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, history. Uh, so with him, we learned and we found out there are many Bangladeshi migrants who are highly, you know, in the culture, this part of the culture, poems, uh, poetry. I mean, it's something that Singaporeans in all our uh, cleverness can learn from them. And uh, so with that, we published uh, his book. We have him published together with uh, Ethos Publishers. What's uh, it called? It's we'll, called Me Migrant. He we'll, wrote this we'll, book. we'll put this into the show notes. It's called Me Migrant. And uh, he he then published a second book called Braving Life. Two, the two books. Mm. But you know, there are stories and essentially poetry of struggles, but also hope and uh, of hope of life and how you know how one navigates the just difficult circumstances. But there's one problem with this. Uh, so Mukul, with all that, so we helped propel him to be a national poet. In fact, at the Singapore Writers' Festival, uh, which I'm not sure many of our listeners would have attended, uh, he wasn't just a participant in Singapore Writers' Festival. This about three years ago. Uh, he was, in fact, a workshop speaker. Wow. A migrant worker. So he, his title was Me Migrant and, you know, uh, as a migrant worker, construction worker, also a workshop speaker uh, at the Singapore Writers' Festival. But you think, and you know, so, uh, and it's with the second book and with all the past publicity he got. There was a media coup that went to with him back to Bangladesh to do a story for him. The local governor got to know, local mayor in town. Everyone knew him as the poster boy, the success story from Singapore when he went back to Bangladesh. Guess what? The fairy tale ended. You see this? Uh, so with all that publicity, um, uh, he got fired from his job. Uh, you know, and there was a big flood. He, you know, his house was damaged and uh, he needed money to rebuild his house. He lost his job in Singapore. And he was desperate. And you know, you know what? Today he's back here uh, struggling. And he, and he has decided that he wants to be a good migrant worker. He was a, he was a good poet, a very good, uh, accomplished poet, but a sort of, I guess, a very average migrant worker. But he decided, look, life is hard. Life is difficult. He wants to be a migrant worker. He needs to earn the money because his family is struggling. And he's, uh, he decided that poetry has to take a back seat. And is this a reality of life? And you know, the resilience of people like Mukul and others, mm. 
uh, these are lessons I, uh, you know, there are mistakes I've made in terms of my perception yeah. of who I think I am. Yeah. Uh, I keep learning from them. Uh, they, they reflect my own life and I realize, oh man, I'm so small. And so poor Mukul is, or not poor, I would say Mukul, uh, he's now, yeah, he doesn't want, he's taken a very quiet stance. He's in Singapore now. He doesn't want folks to contact him. And, and rightly so, I think he really wants, he needs to make that money to repay his debts and, you know, and uh, we've, we've been trying to help him, but you know, it's not so easy. Mm. Yeah. And that's the reality of life. And I, as a person, I need to hold this tension. As much as I want, you know, all of us want to help him and, and there are realities in life, his own family. And he's just one of the many stories that we know of. There are so many other stories. Yeah. And the, yeah the, so our mistakes of thinking, our perspective is just the only place, our only perspective or our presuppositions. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's really, really educational. And I'm sure for me, just hearing this vicariously as well as for the other listeners who, who are hearing this, story from you and from your own reflections hi everyone it's me again dr curious this brings us to the end of part one of our conversation with dr go wei leong but do join us next thursday as we carry on speaking to dr go about how to start a charity as well as more about migrant workers in singapore if you've benefited from this podcast i'd love for somebody else to benefit from it as well share a link to this podcast in an email or WhatsApp message so that other people can find out about it. Subscribe to this podcast on the Apple or Google Podcast app and leave us a rating or review because this recommends the show to others via the algorithms. And also send me some feedback. Hello at alternativecv.fm. We're always seeking to improve and we're always looking out for more people to interview to produce educational and inspirational content. See you in the next episode. <laughs>